Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show the amazing and fabulous Claire Bibby from our very own Aspect Legal to talk all about shareholders agreements, what to do and what not to do. Welcome on board. Let's, let's go for it. You know what? I, I'm sure people by now um, are not wanting out of this podcast a boring old lecture on legal stuff. Well, I guess what we're doing today is we're talking about shareholders agreements and maybe what we might do is we might talk just a little bit about the reasons for them and then let's talk about some of the issues that we've seen what not to do, and maybe we could even throw in a what to do. Perhaps we could take sure. add a bit of a positive to the end there. <laughs> but let's start with why have a shareholders agreement in the first place? What, yep. what are the issues that we're trying to avoid and what can happen if we don't have one in place? Sure. Shareholders agreements are like the Bible of buying into an unlisted company. So buy into a listed company, you don't have a shareholders agreement. Buying into an unlisted company, you do have a shareholders agreement because it regulates the relationship. Think of it like a prenuptial, which most people don't have unless they're extremely rich. Um, (laughs) But a shareholders agreement is like a prenup. You know, you're going into the relationship with your eyes wide open. So do the things go pear-shaped in the future? You've got some rules and some structures as to how everything is going to be resolved. But it's not just about when the relationship breaks up. It's also about how the relationship survives and how the legal wheels of justice turn, so to speak. It's a way to protect yourself and ensure the smooth functioning of the business. Because Mm. at the end of the day, when you invest in a private company, when you invest in anything, you know, you want to know that at some stage, you're either going to make a shed load of money, Mm. or you're going to get your money back. And there's got to be some rules around that, because not many people are just going to give over, you know, 50 grand or 100 grand or, or more, you know, it can go into the millions of bucks. And then just Cross your fingers and hope for the best. If mm. if you did go into business like that, then there would be no legal profession and we wouldn't be here today. So, um, <laughs> you know, conflict is common yeah. and conflict is business. Yeah. So that's what you need a shareholders agreement for, how to deal with conflict. Yeah, and I find fascinating, constantly fascinating, the number of businesses that we deal with that don't have shareholders oh, agreements. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and quite often that becomes apparent because they, you know, come to us as new clients and say, you know, there's an issue or they want to exit or one of the other parties want to exit. And of course, the first thing we say is, can we have a look at the shareholders agreement? And there's just not one there. Oh man. Yeah. I was talking to a new client the other day and was saying, you know, have you got this? Have you got that? No, no. Yes. 
And then he just kept changing his mind and I thought, oh, you poor fellow, he just didn't know what he had because he had set the business up himself. And that's so common because when people are setting up businesses as opposed to a company that's already well-established and setting up a new business, you know, when you're a newbie, so to speak, the pennies are so, so important. I mean, they're Mm. important all the time, but especially so when it's a new business and you want to do things yourself. And no criticism levied at my brothers and sisters in the accounting profession, but pretty often when they're setting up a business for a client, they might buy them a shelf company and Mm. then that's it. Or Mm. the client themselves, they might buy a shelf company or they might even take the plunge and go onto the ASIC website and poke around there and fill in the forms and spend (laughs) the thousand bucks and think they've got themselves a company when all they've got pretty much is yeah, maybe some rules and not a lot more than that. If you're going to go into business, I'd suggest that think about getting some advice, think about speaking to a lawyer, think about speaking to an accountant who knows what they're doing and don't just buy stuff off the shelf. And this is when I can use my shit in, shit out analogy. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if you don't put a lot of effort in at the beginning, then you, you might find yourself in a bit of a pickle later on. And a shareholders agreement, Joe, you and I, we live and breathe these things, so mm. we know it, but they're a crucial part of setting up a business. And your lawyers know about that. And your lawyers are really the experts who mm. should be setting up your shareholders agreements for you. Yeah. 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 So the other thing that I notice is quite often uh, businesses may have started down the process of creating a shareholders agreement, but they're not got to the end of it because it's another regular occurrence for when we ask this question, you know, for the answer to be, no, we don't have one or for the answer to be, ah, we spoke about that many years ago and here's something that we had drafted up for us to think about, but we just never finished it. So that's another one that's common, right? Yeah. And there's a whole body of law on verbal agreements but you don't want to go down that path. No. You, you don't want to spend thousands of bucks with a law firm trying to work out if you've got a verbal or an oral agreement in place. You want to have mm. an agreement in place and spend yeah. your money on the real issue, which is addressing whatever it is that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And and once again, I, I, I think that this is something that um, maybe um, is seen as quite difficult because it is almost like a checklist. It's a checklist of going through asking a number of questions in relation to making sure everyone's on the same page in relation to how a number of things are dealt with, which we'll speak about in a moment, like decision-making or dealing with exit or all of those sorts of things. But I guess the issue is that people just feel like it's too difficult to have to answer these questions. But I tell you, if it's difficult to answer the questions when you're all getting on, Mm. Can you imagine how much more difficult it is when you're not getting yeah. on? When you all hate questions? each other. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, visiting a lawyer is like visiting a dentist. Most people don't want to do it. <laughs> not our clients. Not, not our, our clients. clients. No, 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 yes, no, 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 no. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, it's important to get a lawyer who not only knows what they're doing, but also builds a relationship with you and has rapport and trust and can explain to you why you need this 50-page yeah, document. exactly, and can help you make decisions because there are decisions along the way, but, you you know, the, the reality is it can get guidance, so don't feel yeah. to it, see. So let's go back and, and just quickly touch on some of the things that we touch on in shareholders' agreements sure. uh, then. 
Um, and, and one of the first, I guess, quite obviously, is about decision-making, how decisions are going to be made. Yeah. Well, one of the important things when you're buying, well, I mean, there's loads of important things when you're buying shares, but when you're buying shares, are you buying voting shares or are you buying non-voting shares? Because mm-hmm. that's going to have a really important impact, obviously, on whether you have a say. Are you going to be a director or are you not going to be a director? That's really important. Are you going to be entitled to receive documentation or do you have no rights to documentation? Like this sort of stuff is really important because you're handing over usually a a pretty substantial sum of money. And whether you're going into business with venture capitalists or whether you're going into business with friends and family, you want to know what the ground rules about these basic issues are. And I say basic in in the sense not that they're simple or low level, they're basic issues to us as lawyers because, hey, if you've worked this out, you want to have those basic fundamental, fundamental, that's a better word, fundamental issues sort of at the beginning because you don't want to find you've gone and given John next door 50 grand to go and buy a John's mowing business and you own 50% of it, but then your next door neighbour goes off with your money and you have no right to make any decisions, no right to receive any information. And you've really just got to hope that one day John might come back and give you not only your original investment back, but some profit, which would be pretty awesome as well. So don't leave it to chance, set out the ground rules. And lawyers are the people that read the inside of the monopoly box. That's what we are. We are the people that read the inside of the Monopoly box and we are the people that are going to know the rules and help you set them out because, trust me, you do not want to read the inside of the Monopoly box. That's a quote. I'll tell you what, I have never heard that before. But, um, yeah, you're right, I do. Anyway, (laughs) leaving that to the side. That's why no one wants to play Monopoly with us. That's a whole other podcast. (laughs) And um, just one comment that I have um, on the directorship side. So this uh, this question about you know will you or won't you be be a director? It's also about whether or not you have the right to the appointment um, of a director as well, which is um, you you know sometimes a completely overlooked consideration. And one you know I've had clients in the past who who really don't want to hold directors. For, for very good reasons, yep. but having the right to the appointment of yeah. a directorship is just something that's super important, I guess, to think about whether you want built into that right for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And some people, as you say, they may not, for whatever reason, want to be appointed a director, but having the right to appoint somebody as a director, I mean, you may know somebody who's really experienced and who you trust who can go on this board for you Mm. and can independently see what's going on and help you make the decisions on what's happening with your money, what's happening with the business, what's going on. You don't want to just give your money away, friends, and then hope that something's going to come back one day. You want to have yeah. some rules in place. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. All right. So so we've talked about many things. So where are we up to next? What else should we be considering yep. um, the inclusion of in a shareholders agreement? Well, I, I liken investing into a company like getting married. You know, it's a long-term relationship. So yeah. you've got your prenup. And one of the things you've got to work out is what happens if I've had enough of this relationship, I want to get divorced, I want to sell my shares, how hard is it going to be for me to sell my shares? Leaving aside the fact of um, unlisted companies are of their very nature illiquid, how hard is it though going to be for me to sell the shares? What happens if my next door neighbour decides 
they want to buy me out, can I just sell to them? Mm. What happens if one of the other shareholders, though, maybe somebody wants to buy their shares and I want to tag along on that deal? Yeah. Or I want to be dragged along on somebody else's deal. You know exactly where I'm going here because I'm using the buzzwords. You know, <laughs> stuff like preemptive rights. Mm. How hard is it going to be for me to sell my shares? Because if you think about it, if you're in business with, say, three of your best mates and you're the fourth and you want to sell out, they may not want a complete stranger coming into their company and they may want to have the first right to buy your shares mm. themselves. That is extremely common. And there are lots of different ways that you can document those sorts of deals and work out, well, how much do they have to offer you for those shares? Do you have mm. to go off and hire an accountant? Does it have to be based on the last three years EBITDA, something like that? Like there's loads of different ways you can cut and slice and dice this sort of stuff. So knowing what the rules are when you want to leave and sell your shares, that I would say is one of those top headline fundamental issues that your lawyer wants to cover for you in your shareholders agreement. I completely agree. Of course, I completely agree, Claire, but I do <laughs> completely agree. I just find that this is the key issue when we have clients coming to us who are looking to um, exit their shareholding um, in an entity when the, the when there might be other shareholders continuing or indeed if the um, shoe is on the other foot, you, you know, the other shareholders or one other shareholder is looking to leave. This issue of exit and how that can work is one of those things that comes up and again and again and again where organisations don't have a shareholders agreement in place. And it's really hard to navigate. It can be really hard to navigate, particularly if the relationship is strained at that point, which it often is when one, not the others, are looking to exit. Totally. And think about it as well from the perspective of what stage of your life are you in? If you are close to retirement and you don't want to have a hands-on role or you're really going to need some cash quickly um, in the next few years because you want to invest it, then you want to make sure that you can actually get out of the company and get out at a reasonable amount. You know, you don't want to mm. have invested 100000 and then find you can only get 20 bucks back. I mean, that, yeah. that's a very unrealistic example, but it, it emphasises Well, I mean, it's, no, it certainly happened, yeah. But, you know, yeah. Re, you know, we also, one thing, well, two things that we can always be sure of in life are death and taxes as they say. Mm. And what happens if you are to pass away and your spouse is left with these shares and they need to sell them? You know, they're going to have to know what's in these documents or at least find out what's in these documents. And you don't want them to be screwed over by people because shit, to use the term again, can happen. And you want to make sure that your lawyer has protected you and protected the broader interests that you have because an investment in a company is a long-term investment and it may actually survive you. So as as your lawyers, we will think about that sort of stuff. You won't think about it probably, but we will think about that sort of stuff and try and protect you and your broader interests. And give you direction in relation to what's usual in terms of dealing with these issues. Yep. Um, because that can be another thing, you know, I see a lot of confusion often in terms of, you know, thinking through the risks, but then not being sure about how to deal with it. Don't let yourself get confused, you know, because um, there, there are some simple ways to deal with all of this. It's just really Oh, about- absolutely. And, you know, one thing I say to lots of people, and I also say this to young lawyers as well, we are not brain surgeons. 
we're just people who are really awesome with words and structuring deals if you do the sort of law that you and I do, mm. Joe. And so don't try and navigate this self because you wouldn't operate on yourself if you had to have an operation. You know, you might go and do Dr. Google, but, you know, if you're doing something that involves a lot of money or a lot of risk or is really important to you, don't cut corners if you don't have to. Get yourself a lawyer who knows their stuff. Yeah. And actually, it's a really interesting point because a lot of what we're talking about here perhaps might be perceived to be uh, directed towards people who've not had a lot of experience with these types of agreements before. But do you know, it's exactly the same with uh, really experienced investors and the importance of still getting that constant cross-check yeah. on um, agreements because I've seen a lot of very experienced and sophisticated investors who've done this many, many times before sometimes miss some of this detail because they've seen it so often before. So it's your the comment that you make, I think, is a comment across the board, yep. um, you know, irrespective of sophistication of, uh, you know, the, the number of these types of deals that have been done. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, imagine it from an, another context as well is say you invested in a company because of the entrepreneur who's in the CEO ship. What if they pass away? What if they sell their shares? Yeah, what yeah. if somebody else moves into that seat? You're not thinking about this sort of stuff, but might you want to possibly get out if it's not still the person who you invested your money in? Because quite often you are investing in the personality. What if they're mm. not there anymore? You mm. know, you may want to get out. And mm. you you want to know at that point in time that you've got a really clear exit mechanism that is not only clear but is fair. And that's what we do. We create those fair, clear mechanisms for you. Brilliant. Okay, wonderful. So do you think we've missed anything out? Well, we've missed a hell of a lot out. but uh, <laughs> We could talk for hours, my friend. <laughs> Caught up. We caught it. We, I mean, shareholders' agreements are one of those things that are of such critical importance that, not being funny, we could actually talk probably for hours mm. about it. <laughs> but yeah. I'm sure you, the listener, don't want to sit there listening to us for hours. Well, maybe you do. And if you do, let us know and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll do another few podcasts in the area. But just before we leave, I guess, what, what are, are there any sort of high-level other areas that, that we haven't really touched on yet, do you think? Um, the other thing that I would say that we've talked about conflict being common, but what we haven't talked about is dispute resolution tools. Mm, mm. And um, what I mean by that is what happens if you do have a Barney with your other shareholders? And I've got that very example now with a client where he's one of three directors, he's asking for paperwork and he's just getting blanked. Mm. And there's nothing he can do because the agreement doesn't say anything and he doesn't have any rights under the Corporations Act that I can point him to. Mm. So you don't want to always be, now you're going to find this a bit strange, listeners, you don't always want to be running to a lawyer and going to court. You know, sometimes <laughs> you might want to use um, alternative dispute resolution mechanisms like mediation or at least have a clause that says before you end up in court, you've got to try mediation first because mediation has a really great success rate if you use the right type of mediator. And there are lots of professional organisations out there. And when we recommend dispute resolution clauses to our clients, we know about all of this sort of stuff. Mm. So we'll actually say to you in, in the majority of cases, you don't want to run to court, first of all. You want to try and explore other ways to settle. 
not only from a cost perspective, but also from a time perspective and a reputation perspective. Because at the end of the day, if you've got two lawyers facing each other at 30 paces, the chance of your relationship still being intact at the end is pretty limited. And we don't want to do that to our clients. We want to try and keep things as amicable as possible for them. But, you know, accept that sometimes things aren't going to go really well, but at least let us give you those sorts of clauses so that you've got a chance of still keeping this relationship together if that's what you want. We'll give you options. Yeah, that is such a good point. That is such a good point. And and I guess it helps, you know, and, and perhaps that will help us have the point of rounding out the conversation here that um, shareholders agreements are giving you the opportunity to set the parameters of this relationship um, yeah. that you're embarking on together or may have embarked on, you know, 10 or 20 years ago if you're coming to this a little bit late. But it's never too late to put it in never, place. Never you know, if you've not got it in place and you've got an existing organisation with other shareholders at the moment and you haven't got one in place or you can't remember where it is and you can't <laughs> find it because that's also highly unuseful, you know, even if you think you signed one one day, but no one can actually find it, which happens. It's super important that there's that fabulous saying, Claire, hopefully you'll know it, that, you know, right at the beginning of the business was the perfect time, but the second perfect time is right now to do all of these things. (laughs) I didn't know that one, but I'm going to keep that one. It's a good one. I think I've adapted some sort of, uh, you know, monks saying about life more. But anyway, whatever, you know, very true for legal documents. But you had a nice disclaimer there that you added. I like that. Very good. (laughs) Tick of approval. (laughs) But um, so, you've not got it in place, it, well, hopefully isn't too late. One of those things that, uh, you know, we we recommend to our clients to undertake regular, you know, and at least annual reviews of their organisation where they think about the adequacy of the legal framework and foundations that they have in place for where their business is at the moment. And one of those is checking on your shareholders' agreements or any of the other agreements that govern your relationship in relation to structure and your relationship with your your other uh, partners in a business. Make sure it's in place, number one, and if it's not in place, get it there, but also review it, you know, Mm. um, because things can change. And I think it's really important that, you know, you don't have to go through it word for word, but I think it's really important just to have a brief review of this every now and again at specific, you know, points in time to make sure it continues to represent the business as it is now. Totally. Absolutely agree with that. Great. Okay. Do you have any other rounding out thoughts there, Claire? Look, it's not a mandatory doc, Joe. Um, what I mean by that is you don't have to have a shareholders agreement. It's just like when you get married, you don't have to have a prenup. But we're here to help. It, look, from our point of view, they're very important documents. We'd rather sort stuff out for you early than later on down the track when your relationship has gone pear-shaped. We can try and fix it for you when it's gone pear-shaped, but it's better if we can get in early, as you say, when everybody likes each other. But again, it's got to be a quality document because you want to make sure that your rights are protected. And it doesn't have to be a 50-page document. I made that comment earlier. Um, They usually do go for about 30 or 40 pages, I have to say. It doesn't have to be really, really complicated, but it does need to deal with the fundamental issues and we can help you and advise you on those fundamental issues. That's the sort of stuff we love doing 
And we also love reading the inside of a Monopoly box. (laughs) Claire, what a fabulous way to leave this. We might have to throw in a few uh, pictures of Monopoly boxes there. Awesome. Our listeners. Very good. Bags uh, bags banker. I love being banker when I play Monopoly. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, Claire, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of The Deal Room Podcast, where we talked all about shareholders agreements. If you'd like more information about this topic, then just head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com, where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you're the kind of person who just loves to read through a transcript in fine detail. (laughs) At our website, you'll also find details of how to contact Claire and our other legal eagles at Aspect Legal. If you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions or indeed shareholders agreements, we've got a number of great services to help businesses prepare for sales and acquisitions of share sales and businesses. And finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, then please pop over to your favorite podcast player and leave us a review. And now don't forget to hit that subscribe button so we can be delivered straight to your podcast player each week when we released. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.